distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. And I am Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out, new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I tend to prefer looking at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. Well, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 20, recorded on Wednesday, the 24th of February, 2021. This episode, we're taking on Ubuntu DTE Remix and Blue Star Linux, and are debuting a new section highlighting our frequent inability to finish the job. We are happy to receive suggestions of distros you'd like us to try, whether Debian, Red Hat, Arch, SUSE, Mandriva, Slackware, Gentoo, or perhaps even BSD-based. We are distanced and as healthy and vaccinated as we can manage. Monthly foibles were and we discussed what did and didn't work for us this month. I've gotten comments about my tendency to delete some programs, including LibreOffice, immediately after installation. To me, it makes sense to do it before you run the updates, because some of those programs, especially LibreOffice, are quite large and take up quite a bit of time and space in the updates, and if you remove them first, they don't update. I know Chris Fisher has mentioned he doesn't use any Office. If you're like that, you may also want to remove cups prior to doing updates, or just run Bodhi, which leaves the printing package out altogether. Other things to consider removing include Thunderbird, again, if you don't use it. Pseudo apt-get purge package name asterisk is all you need. Otherwise, it has been a rough month, as my mother passed around the time of our last show, and we're still figuring out what to do about it. It's very hard to not have her to call every time something happens. The schools have been open a bit more, so I've had some subbing jobs. Next month should be better for us financially than this month was. I did just buy my wife a new computer. She needed more computing power than we could afford, so I found an old Xeon workstation on eBay. The specs are spine-chilling, and the price was right. What's going on with you, Dale? Well, I've been wanting to check out for any dust in my Plex server case and my Samba server's old case. I was using two... Thermaltake H22 cases. They were from the generation when they just started putting dust filters in the cases. I bought a Silverstone SST-CS380B-USA case in the fall of 2019 to replace one of the H22 cases. After about 14 months of 24-7 you sitting next to the other H22 case, I am really impressed. There was only the lightest trace of dust inside, and not everywhere either. Some areas had none at all. On the other hand, you can't say that about the Samba server's H22 case. It had dust bunnies clinging to every surface. The CPU heatsink looked like it was wearing a stocking cap. There was enough dust to knit two dozen sweaters or jumpers. Send it to me, I'll make yarn. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have the Distro Hoppers Dust Bunny Edition Winter Collection. <laughs> I'm thinking it was probably around two years of dust, to my best recollection. I had to remove the heatsink fan from the heatsink in order to clean it. That made me think of the last time I replaced the thermal paste. I knew I replaced the Plex server's paste when I installed the new case, so I was thinking it was close to eight years when I built the computer. 
Well, needless to say, the paste was like concrete. It took several minutes to get the heatsink removed, which was nothing compared to how long it took me to clean it. Once I put everything back together, the idle temperatures dropped from 42C to 32C, which was good for the CPU, and overall case temperature dropped about the same amount. So what's new with you, Tony? So, uh, not much really. Uh, I've been trying to get my health back on track, and that's been an up and down kind of job of late. Uh, We're still in COVID lockdown here in the UK, which after a recent government announcement is not going to get significantly relaxed until late spring with the further rollout of the vaccine. So uh, on a positive note, I've had my first dose of the vaccine. Uh, I had it last Saturday as we record this, so things are moving. Computer-wise, I sold one of my many laptops, one of the Toshiba Z30s that I possessed. The buyer wanted Windows 10 and a Linux Mint dual boot on it. The Linux side was because she knew that her printer scanner worked on it, but she hadn't been able to get it to work in Windows. So anyway, to cut a long story short, I got Windows 10 on the laptop and Windows set it to fast boot and I couldn't get into the BIOS or the boot menu uh, despite much trying and internet searches to find a solution. Nothing worked. In the end, uh, the buyer gave me the uh, model of the printer and I was able to find a Windows driver that works. So she's very happy anyway. So uh, even without Linux, it's doing what she wants it to do. So that that's good. But I was talking about this with the Mintcast crew and Joe suggested one way to get into the BIOS was to uh, interrupt the uh, Windows startup several times to force it into the rescue menu, uh, which gives access to the BIOS as an option. So uh, in future, I might try this if it happens on another occasion. One final thing about the show, I'm finding it more and more difficult to find the time to distro hop with health issues and uh, life stuff. So I'm going to be taking a back seat on that part of the show unless I have something that really grabs me or I'm reviewing uh, a new release of my daily driver. That's not to say I'm going away. I'm going to be uh, on the show uh, to quiz Moss and Dale on aspects of their reviews when I, when I can think of something uh, pertinent to ask. And I'll still be the chief production editor doing all the post-production and posting of the show so that you can get it in your feeds. So uh, I'll still be around. I wanted to also mention that I got my jab a week ago Monday. So two-thirds of us are vaccinated. <laughs> So, shall we move on to updates? Updates, where we discuss what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. After our show last month, a Lubuntu user showed me how to move the terminal or other apps to the taskbar. It wasn't any harder than Mate, but the location you needed to place your mouse was more restricted than I'm used to. Look for the green checkmark. OpenMandriva has version 4.2 out, but not without problems for those updating from 4.1. I've had to report a couple of issues, and I'll cover this better later in the show. Has anything caught your attention about the distros you've reviewed for us, Dale? Let's see. Void Linux updated their ISO images for their different flavors, which is a good thing considering that they are a rolling release distro. It will save you a lot of time updating after you do that fresh install. And let's see. Solus has released version 4.2 of their Fortitude branch. There are way too many updates to mention. So I'm just going to mention some of the ones that caught my attention. They are now using kernel 5.10.12, which is welcome news to the 5th gen and possibly 4th gen AMD Ryzen CPU users. They upgraded to Pulse Audio 14.1. This version resolves an issue with HDMI, where when you plug in an HDMI source, it automatically switches to it. That functionality is now disabled by default. They are continuing to use GNOME 3.38, so no GNOME 40 here. Lastly, Plasma is at version 5.20.5, along with updated frameworks 5.78, KDE Applications 20.12.1, and Qt 
5.15.2. I was a bit disappointed, though, that Plasma wasn't at version 5.21, though it is understandable given the time needed to review new versions both for their included into the distro. So how about you, Tony? Yeah, so since we were last on air, Endeavor OS released a new ISO of their Arch-based OS. Considering it's less than two years since the distro rose from the ashes of Antigos Linux, they're doing a great job. When I reviewed their first release in August 2019, you only had one desktop uh, install, which at the time was XFCE 4.14. So anyway, I grabbed the latest ISO and did a dual boot on my other Z30. Now if you choose the net install option, you can make a choice from all the main DEs and a few of the window managers as well. So you can have your DE of choice straight from the start, which in my case is Mate. The installer is Calamaris and really easy to use. Dual boot setup is uh, as easy as it is in Mint or Ubuntu. Uh, So no problems there. So the guys and girls uh, over at Endeavor OS have done a great job. So if you want an Arch base without uh, the pain of uh, vanilla Arch, go and check it out. You can still get my original review from August 2019 on our blogger site. It was uh, episode five. So now we'll move on to uh, the new feature. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. DistroWatch provides a service of installing virtually everything they get and reporting on it, right up to the point that it fails to install or run. We thought we'd follow suit, just as it is good to have information on how well a distro runs on certain equipment, it is also valuable to learn the progress of distros which may not be quite ready yet. And so we have added this section. We'll try to keep it light and short. I've been playing with X-Lite, a new distro among many, by Arna Exton. This distro uses Debian Bullseye and Enlightenment 0.24.3 to a beautiful effect, but there are many unfinished features. While I did get it fully installed, which I haven't in the past with a lot of Arna Exton's distros, it quickly lost Wi-Fi access and often reported that it was ready, but would not actually be connected. I kept it on my kudu for a while, but eventually it had to go when no fixes could be found and support responses were few. As I said, OpenMandriva finally released version 4.2 and offered it as regular updates through DNF, but neglected to tell their users how they needed to run the update. I did what I could on my two machines, rebooted, which itself was glitchy the first time, and got the new 4.2 screen, not as pretty as the previous version, but distinctive nonetheless and a message that a certain configuration file could not be written and to contact my system administrator to fix it. Then it took me to a login screen which showed my login name and prompted me for my password, which it rejected, repeatedly, with reboots. I wound up doing a clean installation on the Fuzzy 400, and I stumbled on a discussion on their forum before upgrading the Kudu that I was supposed to upgrade my rock repos using the commands sudo dnf clean all, sudo dnf distro dash sync minus minus allow erase and then run sudo dnf upgrade. I did that in upgrading the kudu and got exactly the same result. Now I'm being told that I should have quote answered the scripts carefully end quote at the end of the installation. I saw a series of scripts which looked like blah 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 package name blah 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 select yn other option other option. I did like any barely literate user would do and answered y to all of them. In my experience, accepting the default leaves old config files installed, but I was apparently expected to read and understand this barrage of instructions, each saying nearly the same thing, and understand that the default was the proper decision to make. That didn't work for me, and I'm still waiting to hear on the Kudu. I still have the upgrade level on the Kudu, although I did a clean install on my uh, Z400. Dale? Well, I intended to review a BSD. OS for uh, this month called Project Trident, and well, I will uh, alliterate uh, my my fun with that and why I'm not reviewing it this month. Project Trident started out about three years ago based on TrueOS, a fork of FreeBSD. In late 2019, they decided to rebase it on Void Linux. Since I'm on 
fan of Void Linux, I decided to try it. The installer required an internet connection to download the installation files. You can choose which release you want to install, which is a unique feature. The installation was similar to Void's, but had a lot less options and not dual boot friendly. All you could do is select which drive you wanted to use. After a couple attempts at installing it, I finally completed the install, but it would not boot. A track cut could not boot error message was displayed. It suggested copying the log file to a USB stick so that I could send it as a bug report. After many attempts to get the USB stick to mount, I gave up. The USB stick mounted fine in Linux Mint Cinnamon. So I'm going to revisit this in the uh, coming months. So nothing from me. So shall we go over to uh, the first review, Dale? And you're going to review Blue Star Linux? Yes, I am. That's was in the uh, on deck circle, I guess, to use a baseball term, and I'm not a sports fan, so if I'm wrong, so be it. Yes, uh, it was suggested to me after uh, my problem with the uh, Project Trident. So Moss uh, told me about Blue Star Linux. Blue Star is an Arch-based distro from Germany using the KDE Plasma Desktop. One thing that sets Blue Star apart from other distros is it doesn't use the default panels. Instead, they use Latte Dock and various widgets which KDE calls plasmoids. I really couldn't find much on this distro. Blue Star is hosted on SourceForge and has a Facebook page. I tried searching for Blue Star and found a brand of ranges and stoves incidentally. Quite odd. I noticed on the boot menu of the installation ISO they have support for Intel Atom Cedarview CPUs with GMA 3600 integrated graphics. It could be that the uh, CPU's so hot they use it as a stove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you could really cook those atoms though, so that's probably not a good idea. It was funny. I'm just searching and it came up and I'm like, and it was sort of one of those things where I was reading and I didn't realize they were talking about appliances. And I'm like, what type of weird open source project is this? And then they then they started talking about cooking things, which I'm very bad about. And I'm like, oh, kitchen appliances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great when there's uh, more than one thing with the same name. Sandwich warmers, yes. I was I was going to email them and ask them if they had open source software in their in their equipment. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you get on with it anyway. Yeah, well, as before in uh, past uh, reviews, my hardware is still the same. I use a Lenovo T430. It has an Intel dual core i5 3320M 2.6 gigahertz CPU has a 14 inch display uses Intel graphics has uh, 4 gigs of RAM at 240 gig SSD and I am also using BIOS mode instead of UEFI now for the installation and any issues I thought I would stop uh, using DD for this time and uh, use the IOSO writer in Linux Mint called uh, Mintstick. I never used it before, but it worked with no problem, though I probably will go back to DD just because I'm used to it. I booted the live image. I clicked on the installer icon displayed in the desktop. It gave me a nice welcome screen with a summary of the installation steps to the left of the screen. One odd behavior I noticed was it displayed a caution triangle and reported that the computer wasn't connected to the internet. It went on to say that my computer didn't satisfy some of the recommended requirements for installation. With the network disconnected, I only had the choice of basic install. I couldn't find out on their page on SourceForge what that included. There was a comment beside it. It read, no system update. So I figured, oh, they want to download updates during the install. So I exited the installer, connected to my Wi-Fi, 
which I found in the hidden drop-down in the center of the screen. When I opened the installer again, I saw yet another notice. It read, Attention for basic installation without internet access. Disable your internet connection and restart the installer. It goes on to mention that this may prevent issues with the DVD-based installation. So we'll move along. Once connected to the Wi-Fi, I was offered a few more installation options. There is the previously mentioned BASIC, along with Desktop, Desk Pro, and Developer. As I mentioned earlier, I couldn't find any description for those. The one I'm unclear about is Desk Pro. I assume Developer is the same as Desktop, but with packages needed to compile software, so I chose the Desktop option. The installation questions are the usual. Your language, location, and keyboard settings. You have the option of what disk to use for installation. You can dual boot it with another OS, replace a partition with BlueStar, or erase the disk and install BlueStar. Additionally, you can get the installer bootloader where you want it, on you know, which drive you want. Your swap options are none, hibernate, and no hibernate. You don't get to select the size. I think they're basing it on some ratio of the installed memory. They also give you the option to encrypt your installation. Up next is the user account creation and naming the computer. They offer the option to log in automatically without the need to enter a password. If you want to use sudo to perform root administration activities, just click the box that says use the same password for the admin account. The next screen allows you to select a theme. I thought this was a nice feature and is optional during the install. A few other distros allow you to do this. The last screen is a summary of your chosen options. Now you just click install and hurry up and wait. I did notice that the install stopped for several minutes at the 91% mark. Eventually, it had a window pop open, then began downloading packages. I found it at the 19 out of 19 computed stage for a while later. I assumed it was done, so I clicked on the close button. After a few seconds, the window popped up and began downloading yet more packages. Some time had passed and I noticed that it stopped again. No dialog box saying it was done. It was just the same pop-up as before. After clicking on the close button, the installation finished a few seconds later all with a all done message. I clicked the checkbox to restart and we rebooted. Now for the post-installation facts and issues. Upon reboot, all of the hardware was detected and the screen was at its native resolution. One thing have I always found annoying in distros is they don't save the Wi-Fi passphrase you use during installation. This distribution is using WPA Supplicant. I should think there is no issue with moving the configuration from the installation to the installed system. I am not a developer, so I can't actually say how easy this would be to implement. There are a couple of distros that um, I've used that do save it because I've I've noticed when I've rebooted into it after installation that uh, my Wi-Fi comes on automatically. So they must be saving the uh, the Wi-Fi uh, login details uh, that you put in. So it can't be too hard, but it, it, it's obviously possible to do. I'm always pleasantly surprised when that happens, but I do no, most of them don't. Yeah, I'm thinking, like I said, I'm not developer. I'm not sh I've done this before in the past when we didn't have a GUI to set up Wi-Fi. And you have to uh, edit this supplic you know, WP supplicant file, which I'm thinking they've got a script that's writing this file. So I'm going to assume that they could move that into the finished installation. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Well, we're going to talk about the uh, functionality of the installation here and the uh, look and feel. The themes that Bluestar created are a mixture of some dark and light themes. I, of course, selected one of the dark themes. They have a high level of transparency, so much so that the pop-up notifications can't be read clearly, depending on what's behind the pop-up window. The desktop is also very busy with plasmoids of weather and other system information covering about a third to half of the screen. 
I personally felt it was too busy to remove them. Maybe it's just me, but on a 14-inch screen, I felt it was a bit cramped, even though my active applications were covering them. The default packages are similar to what you find on other distros, though they do include quite a few internet-related packages such as Chromium, Dropbox, FileZilla, Firefox, Kmail, KTorrent, Pigeon Internet Messenger, Skype, and Thunderbird. Let's see, Thunderbird was at 78.7, Firefox was at 85.0.1, Chromium was at uh, 88.04324.150. Good grief, Google. And it was an official build from Arch, so that could have been Arch's doing. I noticed most packages were very current. The kernel was at 5.10.13-arch1-1, noting it was compiled by the Arch maintainers. And Plasma was at 5.20.5. I did notice that the Wi-Fi wouldn't automatically connect after login. This happens randomly, and all I can do is reboot. The message I get most often is that it can't configure the adapter. It did retain the passphrase, so it was only a matter of clicking connect from the connection manager. I've not had issues with the Wi-Fi with this laptop on any other distro. I've had this happen before, and uh, I used to reboot, but now I just use the uh, hardware Wi-Fi switch. So I just switch that off, leave it for a few seconds, and then re-switch it on. I forget about those buttons. And uh, what was odd is... The light for the Wi-Fi was on, so they know the driver was loaded, but for some reason, it wouldn't talk to it, so I I don't know. But yeah, those buttons on the... Uh, I don't know. I guess it's just because of so many years we spent where the buttons didn't work because nobody wrote <laughs> yeah. the code for yet, that honestly, I don't really touch them. And honestly, it's only been within like maybe the fat past five years that I actually started using them. Yeah, I've actually got a physical hardware switch that you can toggle on and off. So uh, I use that. So one gripe I have about uh, application discovery, the graphical package manager is Octopi. It looks very similar to Synaptic, but not being familiar with Arch-based distros, I did not know the name of the package manager for the GUI or the command line. I also tried typing add in the menu, nothing appeared. I tried typing package, nothing was found. I then started looking for the menu items. I finally saw the application called Octopi in the system menu, opened it and saw that it was indeed the package manager. And I took this from, I knew what Arch used to update the package, but I was trying to go from like a new user's perspective thinking, okay, what do I do? So another gripe is that out of the dozen or so applications in the Lottie dock, none of them was Octopi. It was also not pinned to the hidden dock at the top of the screen. This is my second install of Bluestar, and I tried to roll out any unknown installation issues from the prior install. Yet another gripe is that they don't have the super key configured to launch the application menu. Again, this is probably just me. It is funny because I never had the habit until Microsoft started doing that in Windows 95, so I guess I can just blame them. I had a similar problem on Ubuntu DDE. I did not know that they had the menu attached to the super key, and when I complained, I don't see any easy way to get the menu open. Oh, just hit the super key. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, standards are wonderful. So many of them to pick from. So as far as the functionality of the desktop goes, it's very responsive. For those of you not familiar with Latia Dock, it mimics the look of the dock that you would see in Mac OS. Although this is just one of its many, many configurations. It also can replace the Plasma dock and panels. I think Latte is better than uh, the Plasma docks, not to knock anything that uh, KDE does. During the week of February 7th, I tried to update the packages since it had been a week or so since the install. I noticed that a few of the repos were giving me a 404 page not found error, and that lasted for several days. Finally, on the 12th, 
I noticed the repos were back online. I then tried to synchronize the package database in Octopi. I've been using it since I can't stand using Pac-Man. Those command line switches really annoy me. Octopi reported that there was updates, so I chose to install them. A window opened with the options of No and Run in Terminal. Well, obviously, I want to install them, so clicking No was not an option, so I clicked Run in Terminal, which opened a small terminal window to run Pac-Man, and Pac-Man reported there's nothing to do. So I used the uh, command line when I opened an actual terminal, and again, it reported nothing to do. I opened Octopi and tried to update and was given the option of no and terminal. I was thinking it was a permission issue and was not prompted to enter my password, but I had typed sudo pacman tac sy capital syu on the command line. So I don't know what the problem is. I tried again the next day with additional packages needed to be updated, and the same thing happened. So the memory usage on Foose Boot was about 780, and once I removed all the plasmoids, the memory usage dropped to 550. This was observed using the free-h uh, command at the terminal, though htop reports 629 megahertz, megabytes rather. The install size on the SSD is about 16 gigabytes. Well, the ease of finding help, well, they have a Facebook page. Since I'm not much of a fan of Facebook these days, I didn't sign in to look at it. There is also a SourceForge bug tracking system. Their discussion section has one post from 2017, along with their bug tracker. The one bug is the same issue I had with the repo, so apparently this is not a new issue. When I installed Bluestar, the only other distro installed was the broken Project Trident installation, so I wiped the disk and installed Bluestar. I later downloaded the ISO for Ubuntu 20.04 and installed it along Bluestar. Both distros booted fine after Ubuntu's installation. I ran sudo grub install to the SDA, which would be sudo grub hyphen installed slash dev slash sda from the terminal. I did that from Bluestar's terminal, and Bluestar was once again in control of grub. I noticed that Bluestar didn't have an update grub command, so I ran sudo grub hyphen mkconfig hyphen o forward slash boot slash grub slash grub dot cfg, which is what grub dash update does. It's basically a script that the maintainers have created. I didn't see any issues dual booting with Bluestar with uh, Linux Mint, or not Linux Mint, but uh, Ubuntu, because I was going to put Mint on there, but I didn't have it. But anyway, as far as stability goes, I haven't had any crashes or lockups, but the problem not being update the packages is a real concern. The repos going offline for several days is not good either. I also don't understand the problems with the Wi-Fi randomly not working. Now some similar distributions is uh, Garuda Linux, Endeavor OS, and Solus. And I included Solus because it is a rolling release and it's not oh. not a art space, obviously. Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say for me, Endeavor seems to have got installing an Arch-based system for a new user one of the simplest of the lot. So, for new users who want to try Arch, I would go with Endeavor. I would add Manjaro, and I've had a lot better luck with it than I have with Endeavor. Oh right, okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't put Manjaro on there only because I'm still bitter about it killing my printer <laughs> which is i know i which i know is kind of petty but i don't know it's like i've run other rolling distributions you need for... to forgive manjaro dale <laughs> i know don't hold I on just... to these things they will poison your life yeah <laughs> i know but <laughs> i i think i i'm thinking it could have just been an oversight on the manjaro's maintainer side because i understand that printing isn't i don't know if printing is really common 
any anymore. I would would think now being you know working from home that a lot more people are printing now or at least saving things to PDF and emailing them or sending them via Slack or Telegram or whatever the company uses. But yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't harp on them that much, but it's just it just kinda irked me because I spent two hours trying to fix it thinking, I could do this. No, I, I can't do this. <laughs> so my ratings, I would say for a new user, I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. And experienced, I'll give it an eight out of ten. Hardware issues, I'll give it seven out of ten because of the Wi Fi disappearing. The ease of finding help, I'm gonna go five out of ten. Because I know other people may have issues with social media and uh, can't, as some people say, canceling the uh, the Facebooks and the Twitters and that. And I think limiting that to just Facebook and SourceForge. I mean, for one thing, you have to create. I mean, you have to create an account on a lot of these places, anyways. But new users wouldn't think of SourceForge. And then you have the other half of the people that don't like Facebook. So I think they should at least have a matrix instance, like, you know, using Element or Telegram or even IRC for that matter. But in any case, I digress. The ease of use, I'm just going to give it a 5 out of 10 just because of all the paper cuts that it has. Though I will give it a 10 out of 10 for uh, plays nice with others because it did fine. I could swap Grub between Ubuntu and and uh, Blue Star with no problem. And the stability, I'd say 7 out of 10. I was wavering on that, giving it a lower rating only because when your package system breaks and you can't update, it's only a matter of time before something's going to happen. And it's not going to be good. So my overall rating is going to be 7. Well, my final comments. I really don't want to sound overly negative. I wasn't happy with the issues with Blue Star. The themes are very nice, and I like the use of Latte Doc, but there are many areas where Blue Star needs some help. The pop-up windows that download the packages during the install should either automatically close when completed or notify that they are done. Some visual feedback during the long pause before the pop-up windows opened would be really nice. But the biggest problem is not being able to update the packages. A history of the repo going offline is not good. Also, adding Octopi to the Latte Dock would be really nice since, after all, that is how you install and update packages. This distro has some real potential, so I will revisit it later this year. Now, let's see what Moss has to say about Ubuntu DDE Remix. Thank you, Dale. Ubuntu DDE Remix. Deep in Desktop has gotten a lot of press for its gorgeous design and functional apps and taken heat for the possibility of the code containing information collection by the Chinese government, which has been disproven, but yet steps have been taken to prevent this. But have you ever wondered what would happen if you took that beautiful desktop and applied it to Ubuntu apps? Someone did, and this is the result. My hardware, my laptop is a 2016 model Dell Inspiron 7353 with a 14 inch screen, an i5 processor and Intel graphics, 8 gigabytes of RAM, and 128 gig SSD. I also loaded this distro on my Kudu 3 with a 17.3 inch screen, an i7 processor and Intel graphics, 16 gigs of RAM, and a 1 terabyte SSD. And then later, my Fuzzy 400, a 10 year old HP workstation with a Xeon processor. 16 gigs of RAM and a 512 gig SSD with a 26 inch monitor. Installation ease and issues. I downloaded the ISO and copied it to a Ventoy stick and rebooted the Dell Inspiron, selected the Ventoy stick in the distro, and after a while it started loading. And I kept loading. And kept loading. And then the screen went black, some text appeared on it and then disappeared, and about five seconds later the desktop came up. Scary times, but we got there. The installer was Calamaris, but just like I saw in Lubuntu last episode, it was themed to look like Ubiquity. Maybe this is the current thing in using Calamaris to install Ubuntu. I selected SDA3, replacing my Open Mandriva, install on my SSD and dual booting it with Linux Mint. A dialog box came open saying the system found a problem and would I like to report it? 
without informing me what the problem was and continued installing after I selected yes. I still have no idea what problem was found and this cropped up on every installation I did. The slideshow during installation would have been prettier if it wasn't just all blue. DDE has a reputation of being extremely colorful. This installer bespeaks that. It also seemed to run a bit more slowly than my installations of Ubuntu Web, Lubuntu, and Ubuntu Unity. I installed this on all three of my main machines and each time got that dialog box saying there's an error. I reported it the first time, ignored it the other two, which was later recommended to me by the dev. When completed, the Restart Now box was already checked and I had to click Done. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. It rebooted to a very pretty boot screen with a graphic of the Aurora Borealis, but too tiny type. I, of course, got Grub Customizer and fixed the boot screen after updates. I got the error message again. The distro remembered my Wi-Fi access point, but did not remember my Wi-Fi login, so I was prompted for the password. I hadn't seen that previously in other distros. It's not quite as good as if it did remember my password, but it's better than not remembering the Wi-Fi access point at all. I had this problem on the Kudu as well, although randomly it seems to remember my Wi-Fi password. Also, auto-login works or doesn't, depending on your machine. The default desktop is very blue in random-looking geometric shapes. Mark that for changes. My next step was to change my screen resolution. They did not have the usual Ubuntu Displays feature under that name. I had to open Control Settings and found Display on the top row. Changing the setting left large portions of the screen white, with the remaining portions showing the original blue geometric shapes the first time I did this on the Dell, but that behavior did not repeat at other times or on my other machines. I did not find a clear way to restore the background, so I right-clicked on the desktop and selected Change the Wallpaper. Since the main idea of Ubuntu DDE was to divorce the desktop from the Chinese apps, of course there is LibreOffice instead of WPS. My first task, as always, was to delete LibreOffice before doing updates. I was a bit surprised to find the updates consulting 74 repos. These updates included upgrading 220 packages and installing 13 more. That got me Firefox 84 when 85 had come out the previous day, and the updated kernel is 5.8.0. After I finished, I ran sudo apt auto-remove and removed about 63.5 megabytes of unnecessary files. When I reboot or shut down, I am told that unattended upgrades are running and you risk losing that if you continue. I got this on all three machines. There is a fix for this, which I will discuss shortly. After reboot, I discovered that it ignored my wishes to log in automatically and asked for my Wi-Fi password again. This is its usual behavior, and I have requested a change from the dev. He informed me that that should be covered in updates, but it hasn't yet. Of all the packages I normally install next, it did not have Discord, but I suggested I install it as a snap. I did that after getting the other program installs done. After I got everything in and all my settings fixed except for Firefox, I rebooted, and yes, it asked for my Wi-Fi password again. Another irritation is the terminal. While it shows as a red icon on the taskbar, the terminal itself is all white and pretty blinding on your normal monitor. However, it is quite easy to change the theme right on the terminal. You don't have to go into settings to do that. One really cool feature that I haven't seen in a lot of distros is the ability to set different wallpaper for each workspace, and you can increase or reduce the number of workspaces quite easily. In the end, I uninstalled LibreOffice, Thunderbird, GIMP, and various GNOME games, and installed SoftMaker FreeOffice, Ubuntu Restricted Extras, Slimbook Battery 3, Grub Customizer, Audacity, Telegram Desktop, Stacer, Kmines, Kmahjong, NetHacks X11, PySol FC, plus Discord as a snap. Ease of use. Other than the irritating task of having to enter my Wi-Fi password every boot, everything is beautiful and everything is Ubuntu. There are no real issues with learning the system, I know this already. However, on my Kudu, after a couple weeks use, I was booting to a black screen with no cursor. I hit escape and got a single note, hit it again and got a lovely rising four-note string, but still nothing. The dev says it's a known issue and I've had this with Ubuntu Unity and Zorin OS recently. I have not yet had this on my other two machines. I will state that I didn't have to do anything to fix it, I just had to re-reboot which I didn't know at the time. Memory and disk use. 
NeoFetch is already installed and reports 626 megabytes RAM in use. Stacer says I have 8.2 gigabytes of disk space used. I opened a Telegram desktop with Stacer open. RAM usage was reported by Stacer. Uh, went up slowly from 1.0 gigs to 1.2 gigs, and when I closed it, even after clearing the cache, it still rose to 1.3. I closed Stacer and ran NeoFetch, and it started at 1 gig and dropped to around 800 megabytes. I then opened Firefox with four tabs, and NeoFetch reads 2,211 megabytes. This is a bit high, but it is still quite usable for systems with 4 gigs of RAM or more. Ease of finding help. I joined the Ubuntu DDE Remix Telegram group, which is echoed to and from their Discord and IRC channels. There are 900 members, give or take, and the main dev is active and has helped me out quite a bit. And with everything being Ubuntu, you know lots of help is readily available for most issues you would come across. Even so, there is not much activity in this group, despite the high number of members. The error message I got at boot can be cleared with sudo space rm space slash var slash crash slash asterisk. The issue with unattended upgrades scaring you when you try to turn the machine off is solved by a simple two-command fix that you also have to run in terminal. sudo space systemctl space stop space unattended hyphen upgrades dot service followed by sudo space systemctl space disable space unattended hyphen upgrades dot service. Plays nice with others. I dual booted with Linux Mint 20.1 on the Dell with no issues. My Kudu is running 8 distros and the Fuzzy 400 is running 4. No problem here. I had an interesting experience copying the ISO to a Ventoy stick. It reported when the copy was done, but showed only 67% on the little graphical bubble and did not show 100% until the Ventoy stick was done installing it. This is a feature, not a bug, as it really lets you know when Ventoy is done installing your ISO, instead of just when the copying is complete. I can't tell you, there have been a few times I've unplugged the Ventoy stick when I thought it was done, and it wasn't done with the things that Ventoy has to do to make your ISO readable. I think that's also about the uh, lag with copying data over as well onto a stick, because I quite often get the 100% uh, transfer thing uh, when I'm putting data onto a USB stick, but the little light's still flashing to say it's still actually copying the data. Well, on this distro, it didn't stop flashing and it didn't say it was 100% done until that uh, stick stopped flashing. So that was exceptional. I, I appreciated that. Stability. See previous statements re-Ubuntu. The closest thing I had to a crash was the desktop's appearance after changing the resolution setting. Similar distros to check out? Well, DeepinOS and Lubuntu. Ratings. Ease of installation. New user 10 out of 10. Experienced user 10 out of 10. You just can't beat Calamaris. Hardware issues 9 out of 10. Ease of finding help, community, or web 9 out of 10. Ease of use 8 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. Overall rating, 9.5. Final comments. There's a lot to recommend in this distro. It's pretty. It's Ubuntu. It's fairly light. I had intended to install it only on the Dell Inspiron, but felt moved to put it on my other machines. For quite a while, I was using this distro more every day, and it threatened to replace Mint as my go-to. There are still a few paper cuts and issues, but they should be easy to iron out, probably with the next version. This distro is as deep as Ubuntu and could easily find its way into your heart and onto your desktop. It has mine, and it wouldn't take a lot for it to move into my daily driver slot. I will also mention my wife looked at it and wanted me to put it on her machine. And I pointed out that there are still some paper cuts she's holding off. Good idea. (laughs) Let's move on to new releases. New releases since last episode, from January 20th to February 23rd, GhostBSD 21.01.20, NewTix 20.12.1, Xigma NAS 12.2.2.0.4, 4M Linux 35.1, BlueStar 5.10.10, GParthead Live 1.2.0-1, EndlessOS 3.9.2, Tails 4.15.1, 
Clonezilla 2.7.1-22, Alpine 3.13.1, Zential Server 7.0, OpenSense 21.1, Endeavor OS 2021-02-03, Solace 4.2, Sparky Linux 5.14, LiveRazo 12.21.02.02, Debian 10.8.0, Debian Edu 10.8.0, PC Linux OS 2021.02, Blue Star 5.10.13. I'll be darned, I let one get past me. That's a duplicate, but it's an update. So, that's the latest version of Blue Star 5.10.13. Primtux 6 20.04. Diamond Linux TT 05.fb.21, Septor 2021.1, Ultimate 7.1, Phoenix 122, Ubuntu 20.04.2.0, all official flavors, Open Mandriva LX 4.2, KDE Neon 2021.0218, Maybox Linux 21.02, Nopix 9.1. They still are making Nopix. I'll be darned. Endless 3.9.3. Siduction 21.1.1. Void 2021.0218. Netrunner 21.01. PC Linux OS 2021.0215. Forum Linux 35.2. Gecko Linux 999.210221. Tails 4.16, Alpine 3.12.4, Devon GNU plus Linux 3.1.0, and that's it for this month. The other was uh, another, I, I did not edit that list as well as I could have. And a partridge in a pear tree. No, we do not have that <laughs> Linux yet. <laughs> they, that was quite a list, but there again, we are a bit late recording this month, so... No, it's only been a day longer than a month, actually. Is it? All right. I thought it was a bit bit longer than that. Well, as it says, new releases, well, 0120 to 0223. So three days longer than a month. Well, it felt longer for me because I had to deal with the polar vortex. Oh, yeah. You were driving through all that. <laughs> oh, good heavens. That that was enough to make me not want to drive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's move on to feedback. Dylan Berger asks in Telegram, Hey guys, I'd be very interested in hearing the number one thing you would change about your distros, i.e. installer, package manager, whatever. We could talk for a few hours on that one if we tried. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Actually, the reason... I like Linux. Um, Linux Mint Mate is my go-to distro. I can't think of that much I would change. I can't. Well, I can't think of anything off the head my head that I'd change. There's probably one or two programs I'd prefer to have installed by default. The main one being after install, it takes out Gparted, and that's a big one that I always add back in. But it's a, it's only an apt getaway or an apt install away. So, uh, yeah, it's not a major... There's nothing major that I would change about uh, Linux Mint Mate. The only weird thing I've had in Linux Mint is, you know, I install a few little games that are not anything major. K-Mines, for some reason, sometimes the repo pulls down one that will save my times, and sometimes it doesn't. I have no idea what the difference is. I've, it's not in the settings of K-Mines, But sometimes I get a version in Linux Mint that I finish the game and it says, you won, and that's it. But what should happen is it brings up saying, you didn't beat your top 10 times, or you got a new top 10 time, and it puts it on the list. Oh, right. Okay. That's the only thing in Mint. In Ubuntu DDE, I have made a suggestion to actually change something in the desktop itself, because it gives me everything, all the pretty stuff I get out of uh, um, Bodhi that I love, except uh, for the ability that you can open the menu by clicking anywhere on the desktop instead of having to go down to where the menu button is. And I just kind of wish it would do that. And that that would change the whole desktop. Uh, Anyhow, Dale, anything for you? 
Yeah, I was thinking while you and Tony were talking, and I would say as far as Debian goes, I don't know if it's just because I've used it for so long, I'm just used to it, and I just don't think about any, you know, paper cut issues, but I mean, app get, I mean, as far as, a well, DNF, I know a lot of people love DNF, but you really can't get much simpler other than DNF with app get. <clears throat> you just, you just can't, I mean, it's straightforward for, uh, the functionality and uh, other distributions that I've used was uh, Solus. I ran that for for many years, and I thought the only thing that I would change in that is I do not like their third party store, and I don't think the uh, the devs are really that happy about it either. I know that they're probably I believe that uh, Josh has mentioned that he wants to uh, replace that. Um, it's functional, but I don't know it seems out of place in that type of distro because of the uh, level of polish that they have. When you go into the uh, third party, it seems like the third party was a third party add-on, you know, to the distro. But uh, I'd say, no, um, most of the distros I use, I really wouldn't change anything because if I wanted to change anything, I probably wouldn't be running them because there's such a selection of distros to choose you know, I just choose ones that annoy me the least. Yeah, that's a good point, that, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, you, it's sort of like I can appreciate the appeal of Arch and that and build your own and all that stuff. But it's also, yeah, you, it's sort of like the uh, the shoemaker or the uh, you know, carpenter, you know, you build it, you have to fix it type yeah, of thing. Yeah, you're begging for it to keep running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's yeah. Smart, that, 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 that's my pragmatic yeah. approach to it. Maybe we should ask the guys over at Mintcast this same question. I think it's a it's a good one. That would be a good one. Shall we move on? Shall we? Announcements. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors or by direct donation through sponsors or PayPal. Thanks to new supporter Firecat and continuing helpers SK Beans, Linux Lava 114, and John in Glasgow, and also Ozcoder for a generous donation last month. I am very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. We currently have a whopping 23 users in our Telegram group. It's an active group nonetheless, but we'd love to have more of you in it. And there is a join link in the show notes. I would also point out that we are still six downloads away from 700 downloads on episode 18. This is exciting, but boy, we want to see that seven pop up. <laughs> Woohoo! We would like to thank the Mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room. Our next show will be recorded on or about, gee, we didn't talk about this, March something? Well, it'll it'll be in late March or early April, depending on, you know, Dale's on the road a lot and Tony is having health problems and... Yeah, weather, weather permitting and the, the inability of some of our states to not know how to plow a road, even though snow is not a new phenomenon. Probably the 24th or 31st. Visit our website at https colon slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on MeWe, Telegram, and the Mintcast Discord groups. Dale, you're on Telegram as at Dale underline CDL, and your email is dmiracle74 at gmail.com. You can contact Tony at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com, and you can reach me as at Zyvola on Telegram. Zyvola at protonmail.ch and on Mastodon as at Zyvola at hosttux.social. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with the Mintcast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Joshua Lowe for the work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating and adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed in this episode. Mid-Air Machine creators of the song Streets of Santivo used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel. 
Richard Stallman for the GNU Toolkit and for all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening.